As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he'll send them right away. This took place to to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Hello, hello. I'm Anthony, if I haven't uh, met all of you yet. Um, It is a pleasure to be speaking with you tonight uh, from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 11. But before we get started, I just want to do two things. The first thing is to say, I love each and every one of you, and it is a real blessing just to be entrusted with the opportunity to share the love of God from his word with each and every one of you. And the second thing is to pray, because I need some help. Um, Let's pray. Abba Father, we are here to sit before you and to hear about the good, good news of Jesus Christ. And we pray tonight that you would open our hearts and open our minds, open every aspect of our lives, even those parts of our lives that maybe we've held back from you before, to hear what your spirit is saying to us individually and as a church tonight. We pray, Lord God, that For those of us who came here needing some good news for once, that not only would we leave with good news, but we would leave with the hope of the good news of who Jesus is. And we pray, Lord God, uh, that even if we came here and we didn't feel like we needed any good news, that we would see that who Jesus is, is good news even in the best of times in this world. And uh, just speak through me by your Holy Spirit and fill me with your spirit as I speak and fill each and every one of us as we listen to you in your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so I've got a question. Uh, Maybe a a set of questions. Uh, But the first question is, we've read this, uh, this passage and I just wanna set the scene a little bit before we get too far. And then I want to ask you a question, and this is not a rhetorical question. I like actually need your help to answer this question. So when I ask the question, just tell me what first thing that comes to your mind. You don't have to overthink it, just shout it out. Go back 2,000 years. It is 
a bright day, a sunny day. It's sort of in the springtime. And you hear a commotion in a distance. People shouting, it's really too far away for you to really make out what's happening. But you can hear it. And there's shouting, and it's not like terrified shouting, because you know, you've heard that maybe once or twice in your life. This is like sheer joy, the happiest shouting that you've ever heard. And it gets louder and louder, and you can see that there's people, and then it gets a little bit closer, and you see these random people, and they're running out, and they're and they're throwing their clothes on the ground, and they're like cutting down parts of trees and throwing them over the road. And there's this person, and you at first you think, Maybe he's on, uh, I don't know, a big war horse, stallion, yeah? Maybe white, strong, armored even? Nope, nope, not that. It's a very unimpressive stallion, if it's a stallion. Uh, mm, you're looking, you're seeing. No, it's, it's definitely not a stallion. Oh, this, a donkey? Of all the things. But okay, there's somebody riding on a donkey. There's all this fanfare, and everybody is excited. And my question is, you see all these people, they're getting excited and they're coming and they're getting close to this person who's coming and there's a buzz in the air. What do you think they wanted from this person? What did they want him to do? What were they hoping for? And that is not a rhetorical question. So please help me. What do you think? Why was there all this commotion? Shout it out. What do you think? What would, what would stir an entire city to respond to the arrival of one random human being this way? Now I can give you a little bit of background. This city had been conquered by an empire. And they had been under their thumb for a very long time. They want to get the Romans out. That's right. All right. That, there's a lot of excitement. Get down with the empire. That's right. I mean, it's almost like watching a scene from Star Wars, right? They all, the rebel alliance, they're like, yes, this is what we wanted. You know, maybe not quite a Luke Skywalker, Chewbacca, Han Solo kind of combination, but that, that's what they were looking for. They, they wanted to get rid of the empire. That's one of the things maybe they wanted. What else might they have wanted from this person? What does that even mean? Salvation, shout it up louder. But what is, it, what is salvation? Salvation from what? Because whenever somebody's saved, you have to finish saying who they're saved from. Maybe they're saved from an empire. Maybe they're saved from the religious rulers. Jesus often had a lot to say about the religious rulers of the day. Dictatorship, they definitely had a dictatorship, kind of Roman Empire, and then also these powerful temple authorities, the high priests, had a lot of control over the people. What else might somebody need to be saved from? Death, well, that's a pretty big one. Uh, not, I'm not sure how many of them, but yeah, actually, a lot of them probably were terrified of death. From sin, very possible, though perhaps fewer people were really excited about being saved from sin as we might hope. Sickness, well, sickness was definitely something that Jesus had a reputation for. He was known as a healer. 
So yeah, there's probably a lot of people. Here is this big fanfare, somebody riding on a donkey. Okay, maybe it's that healer guy that I've heard all about. You know, honestly, my one leg, it's never been the same after that one accident. And I just can't, I mean, like, I just can't play basketball the way I used to. I've got to, like, I've got no hops anymore. Some of us have never had hops, but like, you could imagine somebody wanting to be healed, What else might somebody have wanted salvation from? Oppression. There's lots of types of oppression. You know, some of them we've already mentioned, but one we haven't mentioned is the crushing weight of economic instability and poverty. Most of the people in this town would have been, by today's standards, insanely poor. Like even the poor among us today are probably not really familiar with the kind of poverty that some of these people were experiencing on a daily basis. And it's hard to imagine, it's hard to imagine what they could possibly be looking for. But there they see this person. They see, they see him and they're coming He's coming down. Now, there's a little bit of background. There's a little bit of background, I would say, to this. Here he is. He's coming. But that's not actually where the story begins, right? Where does the story begin? The story begins with actually Jesus and his disciples coming. And and they're coming to Jerusalem. And now they're coming in part because it is almost time for Passover, which is the biggest, biggest festival of the entire year in the Jewish religion. And they come and they get close and they're sort of on this mountain that's overlooking Jerusalem. And Jesus says, hey, see that town over there? Go get me a donkey. Just tell him if anybody asks you that uh, the Lord needs it. But the question as we kind of wrestle with this text and we're gonna go through it a little bit, the question is who is Jesus? Who is he? That, that's the real question. Why was there so much fanfare? What was he coming to bring? And were people really ready for the salvation that he had for them? Did they understand its depths? Did they want him to bring the salvation the way Jesus planned to bring it. But before we can really figure out who Jesus is, we need to cover a few things that he's not. And the first thing is he's not proud. He's not. He's not proud. And in part, this is why he's riding on a donkey. And in fact, it's two donkeys. There's this sort of like mother donkey and then a very young colt. And it's a little bit of a humorous, the way Matthew tells it. He's like, okay, go to this place. If anybody asks you why you're stealing the donkeys, I mean, uh, appropriating the donkeys, like, just tell them the Lord needs it. Now, in other of the gospels, actually, people do ask, what are you doing taking the donkeys? But in Matthew's gospel, nobody asks. And so they bring these two donkeys and they throw their coats on top of them. And 
I don't know, you would think Jesus would only ride one donkey at one time, but it, it could be that he's sort of straddling both of these donkeys very, very wide, and you can see they're not quite level, right? It's the mother donkey, she's a little bit older, and the younger donkey just a little bit shorter, and he's kind of like trying to balance as these donkeys are walking their way down the hill. He's not proud. He's riding on a donkey. People who think that they're worthy of being, that they're better than everybody else, and that they deserve actually to have at other people's expense, they, they usually don't ride donkeys. They usually ride horses. Or today, maybe they drive Lamborghinis. But uh, back then, they would not ride a donkey. Donkey was trying to think of a good modern day example of what the donkey is. It's, yeah, it's a Ford Fiesta, maybe like, maybe not even Ford Fiesta. It's probably more like a beat up old Vespa that got, you know, had a rough life in Rome for a very long time, right? And there Jesus is on the back of this beat up Vespa kind of scootering himself down the hill. He's not a proud man. But see, the other thing is, that donkey, just like a Vespa, is not anything that you can do serious damage with, right? Like when you ever look at all of the military technology today, you don't see anybody like riding a Vespa into battle. No Vespas riding into battle, no. Like back then, they didn't have Vespas, but they did have horses, chariots, those kinds of things. There'd be people running through and they would be on horses. And not just small horses, like sometimes when we see horses today, they were like, oh, what a cute little horse. But no, this would have been a strong horse bred to not be scared by the sounds of battle to, that would even be able to carry a human being. So one of the things that Jesus is showing just by perhaps even straddling two donkeys. You definitely cannot fight anybody straddle over two donkeys at the same time. And if you can... It is more impressive than anything you'll see in one of those Disney superhero movies. It's, it would be very impressive. But there he is. He's not a violent man. He's not violent. He's not riding into this city to do violence. And see, it's actually a very remarkable thing that he's not violent. This entourage, this huge thing, sometimes it's called the triumphal entry. And that is because there's a lot in here that is supposed to make our minds jump to the way the Romans entered a city after they had conquered some, some place somewhere else. And do you know how they entered the city? Now, it was true, none of them usually would be armed because they've already done all their killing. You don't need, you don't need to be armed if you've already killed all of your, your enemies. But how do, how do they come in? Well, with all of the people that they've conquered in chains in front of them. And they lead the procession. And then the generals and the warriors and all the conquering people who had shed other people's blood to get their dominant place in society and crush their enemies and put them in chains yeah, they don't, they don't bring any weapons with them. But that whole celebration 
soaked in violence. Not a violence being committed then, but a violence that had already been done. And there Jesus comes. Nobody's in chains. Nobody's being killed. He's riding a donkey. And it must have been like both really exciting and a little bit humorous, I would say. You know, donkeys are not, you know, they're very sure-footed, but they're not fast in there. They come in. And, but this is, this is what is probably so surprising is that they come in and he is not a political savior. And from what most of the, because we talked about the empire, this is a lot of what they would have wanted. They were looking there, everybody's praising, everybody's celebrating, and people are thinking, I've been poor for too long. I've been oppressed by the Romans for too long. I need an out. I can't take it anymore. This has been for years and years and years. For some of them, it would have been their entire lives. All they would have known is being under the thumb of taxation and oppression, of having their nationality, their ethnicity stripped away and their dignity reduced. And he's not coming as that political savior, but they might not know that. So they're waving all these, waving all these branches and, and throwing them on the streets and they're taking off their clothes and, and he's coming in. The same in this sort of entourage, this is how political people enter cities. But he's not one of them. He is a king, but he's not a king like Herod because Jerusalem and the Jews had a king. He was not known for being a terribly great guy and his dad was freaking crazy so like the whole city was like when that guy died they were very happy because he was not stable and it was not a pleasant place to live in a city with an unstable political ruler but Jesus is not there and he's not coming in as a political savior he's not but then how does the passage end all these people are shouting Hosanna and Hosanna means save us please they want salvation, they do. They're desperate for it. And maybe there's a lot of us here tonight who are desperate for some salvation. Maybe it's from the same kinds of things. The, the economic circumstances, social circumstances, spiritual circumstances. But when people come in, the whole city is shaken up. And the word here that we heard earlier was stirred, but another, but it's also the same word in, in Greek that they would use for like, like an earthquake kind of thing. Like this is shaken. When, when Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem, it is like an earthquake has shaken the entire city. The, all of the stones, the buildings, they're moving everywhere. And what happens? What happens is they say, who is this guy? And that's the question we're all probably asking. Who, who is this guy that would suddenly, dramatically bring in this whole entourage of celebration? Who could stir up a city so much that the whole thing would be shaken at, at the core? How do you think they answered it? Interesting, they didn't say king. 
Uh, they didn't exactly say Messiah. They, they said something a lot, both more provocative and more tame at the same, at the same time. They said, he's a prophet. But Jesus is not a prophet. He was prophetic, maybe, but he was no prophet. And there are religions in the world that believe that Jesus was a prophet, that he was, or even non-religious people who think Jesus had a lot of moral vision, but that is not who Jesus is. He was not a prophet. He was not a moral visionary. Because the thing is, on the one hand, being a prophet is an amazing thing, right? Because you're claiming to speak the very words of God. That's, that's big. But on the other hand, everybody today wants to be prophetic. Everybody wants a little bit of a prophetic stance towards the world. This is a, like a buzzword. You can watch politics on, online or you can hear it in Christian speak in the churches and everybody wants to be prophetic. And the problem is that a lot of times prophetic just means being very good at reading the social situation and telling people what they want to hear. Jesus it's not a prophet like that. The prophets of, of the Old Testament, they were not, not well loved. Isaiah, according to tradition, was sawn in half because of what he had to say. While he was alive, presumably. But Jesus is not a prophet. In fact, Hebrews says he's, he's not a prophet at all. He's something, that's, that's, God speaks through prophets. There are prophets in the world, but to reduce Jesus to being a prophet, massively miss who he really is. So now we can answer the question, who is Jesus? But to answer it, we're going to turn to Philippians chapter uh, two, verses five to 11. And I'm just gonna read it for us. I'll give you a second to turn there. Philippians chapter two, Verses 5 to 11. It is page 1179 in the Red Bibles. And so here it is. This is what Paul says. He says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's who Jesus is. He's not a prophet. He's God himself come to earth. Not as God showing himself to be like a human being, but God becoming a human being And so who is he? Well, he's omniscient. 
We see that in the Matthew passage. He tells them, you'll find a donkey, don't worry. Uh, you'll find it, and they go and they find it, and they do it, and, and it works out fine. That's something really only God can do. Now, some people would say, well, maybe he was a prophet. He just kind of knew the future a little bit. But no, he actually knows everything. Now, he's also able to commission. Jesus has that authority. He commissions, and so he commissions the, the disciples to go and take somebody's donkey and tell them that the Lord has need of it. Jesus is the Lord. He's, he's God over the entire universe. The donkey, whoever it might look like it belongs to, really belongs to him. But he is also the Davidic king. And this is one of the reasons, and none of us mentioned it, one of the reasons why everybody was so excited in Jerusalem is because God had made amazing promises to the Jewish people that one day there would be a, a king, somebody who had descended from David, who would sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem, and it would usher in an, an amazing era of peace. And that that person one day would have a kingdom that knew no end. But the thing was, he wasn't exactly like they were expecting the fulfillment of all of the promises and the prophecies. He wasn't quite like that. Instead, he was, now the prophecy was that he would come riding in like a donkey, but they didn't fully appreciate what that would mean. And they would cry, Hosanna, and they would say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But there he is, he's humble. In fact, humble is something that shows up a bunch of times in Philippians 2, right? He says, it says he emptied himself. He made himself nothing. He, he humbled himself. But humility here is is much more provocative than we could ever imagine. Because the humility that Jesus comes with is a humility that comes with amazing amounts of confidence. Sometimes in our world, we're often told to be humble, but what they really mean, what they really mean is to debase the value that you know that you have before God so they can feel better about themselves. And that's not what Jesus does. He never says, I'm not God. He never comes and he never, he, never, he never says those kinds of things because if he did, it would be a lie. It wouldn't be true. He doesn't stop them from waving all of the branches, right? He doesn't stop them from taking off the coats. He says nothing. He lets it happen. Because humility, real humility, is knowing the deep value that you have before God and knowing what God's called you to do. Jesus is God and he's there and he's humble, but he receives the praises because he's also worthy. He's worthy. He shakes the city but he's, he's worthy, he's fully human, and he's fully God. And so he's deeply worthy of all of the praises. And one of the reasons why he's so worthy of praise is because he doesn't come to do exactly what everybody expects him to do, which is to come into Jerusalem and to kill a bunch of people. Instead, it says in verse 6, 
He didn't consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. In fact, just a little bit later in Matthew, he will point out that uh, actually he could have commanded a whole bunch of angels to come and stop things if he had wanted to. But he doesn't. Because he doesn't see being equal with God as something that he needs to resort to violence over. He's not threatened by the fact that people don't recognize him as God. He loves them. That was one of the reasons why there was so much celebration because there were so many people who had already heard and known that Jesus really did love them. But then he humbles himself, he becomes obedient to the Father and he ends up showing that obedience by being obedient even to the point of death. Even death on a cross. And in this he reveals who he really is. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's not a prophet, he's Lord. And when it says that he exalted him, God is not giving Jesus back something that he lost. He's revealing that Jesus is who Jesus always has been. When he says he gives him the name that is above every other name, he doesn't give it to him because he's earned it. He's, he's, he gives it to him because he's always had it. That's why at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and tongue will confess because he's, he's not just somebody who can take things by force. He really is the God who loves us enough to die and is willing, ironically, to destroy the violence in the world, not by bringing more violence into it, but by suffering violence from it. And now we're gonna close, and I just wanna close with this question of how will we respond to who Jesus is? We can respond like the crowds do, praising, but fickle. Few, less than a week later, a bunch of them were chanting to have him crucified. We could be curious, who is this guy? And maybe you're here today and you don't know anything about Christianity, really, and you've listened and you've seen tonight and you're just curious and, you're, and you want to know, who is this guy? We'll look into it. But we could also respond as his disciples and we could say, we want to have the same kind of life that Jesus had in the world. We want to have that same identity of knowing who we are in Christ and being able to live with the courage to obey God even at great cost. and following Jesus wherever he goes. But above all, the way we ought to respond tonight is by breaking loose with some of the most dramatic praise because Jesus is not just a prophet. He is Lord. He is God. We can bend our knees and confess aloud in worship that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father.